It's an honor to be here and to share with you some thoughts about Sabbath and rest and play, if we get to play. Um, I love these questions that have been asked just to stir your thinking. Uh, I like to, uh, when I teach my undergrads, I like to tell them, it's my job to scramble your eggs, to help you to think and to um, some jog, jog some things in your head that may or may not be true. So with that, let me just get started. So let me offer this free public service announcement. You ready? Work is good. Work is a good gift from the Lord. It's, we find dignity in working with our heads, our hearts, and our hands. We know that work is good because in Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 2, we're introduced to a God who's working. And what I find fascinating about that is scholars have said Genesis 1 and 2 are like the, like the prologue to the entire Bible. God could have introduced himself in a number of ways, but he introduces himself as a worker. And we image God, we're like God when we work and when we rest. Your work contributes to your flourishing and to the flourishing of your neighbor. Your work, whether paid or unpaid, is one chief way you serve and love your neighbor. The reformer Martin Luther said this, God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. And all that sounds wonderful, so I just spoke about creation. All that would sound wonderful if it were not for the fall. Because Adam and Eve, they committed high treason. The fall of man was a, a game changer. Work is still good, but because of the fall, work is also riddled with frustration. And so as workers, we can err two ways. One way is to think, to think little of our work and therefore do our work in a very sloppy way or be lazy about our work. The other error we make is we think too highly of our work. As Tim Keller put it, we can make a good thing like work the ultimate thing. And let me illustrate this. I remember as an MDiv student at Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis, our counseling professor often said this, for some of you to get an A in this course would be a sin. Now we've been taught all our lives to get that top grade. But his point was, much like you can think too highly of your work, if you think too highly of getting a good grade, it could mean making your wife a seminary widow. And getting that A could puff up pride. And so that, that was his point about getting an A would be a sin. Then he also said to some of us, to not get an A would be a sin. And his point was, you, you think lightly of your education, and you waste those skills 
all the people that have invested in you to get to school. And that too is a problem. That too is a sin. And we want to certainly avoid those two extremes. Our work can become a source or basis of our worth and our dignity. In this way, instead of using our work to serve others, we actually bow our knees to our work. Our work becomes our Lord, little L. And we need something as broken people, as fallen people. We need something to help us to not, not to fall victim to serving our work as a little G God. We need a hard stop. We need a divine example to emulate. We need something that gives us permission to say, that's a great opportunity, but no thank you this time. Many of us say yes much too quickly and much too often. As Thomas Opong writes in his insightful article, Stop Managing Your Time But Start Owning It, he says saying yes is driving many people insane. And my good friend Ron can vouch for that statement. Ron was a 35-year-old pastor of a, a large church in St. Louis. He was a husband, a father, and also a D-men student. And he came very close to going insane. If it were not for the one week he spent in the hospital from exhaustion. He said, unfortunately, Ron is much like, it's much like us. We fit these often used descriptors of our society. In his book, Margin, Restoring Emotional, Physical, Financial, and Time Reserves to Overloaded Lives, physician Richard Swenson says this, often used descriptors of our society include active, busy, driven, fatigued, tired, exhausted, weary, burned out, anxious, overloaded, or stressed. And those all describe me. And I suspect they describe you as well. Many of us often use that identity statement when asked, how are you? We respond, I am busy. And to borrow Descartes' very famous statement, I think, therefore I am, perhaps we should modify that to say, I am busy, therefore I am. Fortunately for us, those who are crazy busy, our good Lord offers us good gifts, and they're not new. They are the Sabbath, they are rest and play. So let's start talking about or talk about the Sabbath and rest first. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we're told that the Lord, or God, stops his creative working. He ceases from his six days of creative work. In my work at Made to Flourish, I often consult 
a very um, informational website called the Theology at Work Project. One commentator on that website said this about Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. While creating humanity was the climax of God's creative work, resting from his work on the seventh day was the climax of God's creative week. God, now picture this, God enjoys glorious inactivity. God kicks up his feet. God rests. Honoring the Sabbath simply, simply means stop working. To cease from working one day. It means not answering emails from work, not texting employees at work. To cease one day from working. Sabbath keeping gives us perspective and Sabbath keeping pr protects us. The late John Stott in his book, Radical Disciples, says this, the Sabbath puts the importance of work in perspective, into perspective. It protects us from being totally consumed in our work as if it were to be the be-all and the end-all of our existence. Some good friends of mine are writing a book, and I'm going to quote just a little excerpt from the early beginnings of this book. By refraining from work one day a week, we give God space to give us rest, to celebrate what he is doing in our work, and to reflect on the ways we need to work differently in the coming week. Ceasing from doing work is good and sacred. Ceasing from doing work is good and sacred. And we recognize the holiness of the Sabbath by not working on that day. Your Sabbath might be an entire day, a portion of a day. Your Sabbath might be Sunday, it might be Thursday. What day it is really doesn't matter. As Romans chapter 14 through 15 tells us, what matters is that we obey God's command and take a Sabbath. Later in the Old Testament, God commanded the Israelites, his chosen people, to observe a Sabbath rest as he had just delivered them from Egypt, from the house of slavery. God codifies this command in the Ten Commandments. God's commands are good for us. God's commands are not meant to be a burden to us or onerous. God's commands are not meant to rain on our parade. God's commands are for our good. And only a good God will give us commands. So everyone is searching for the good life. And our culture certainly has its opinion on what, what the good life is. For the Christian, we don't need to look very far. The, the good life are God's commands. Obey God's commands, follow God's commands, and that's the good life. Everyone is searching for 
are trying to maintain a high quality of life. For Christians, that riddle has been solved. It's again following God's commands. God's commands are for our good. The Sabbath is for our good. And that's why I believe Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man. It was made for us and not man for the Sabbath. Gene Veith, in his book, God at Work, says this, the Sabbath is a good gift from the Lord for busy, distracted, weary human beings. Any busy, distracted, weary human beings in the audience? Amen? He gives us a break um, as Veith continues. Time to recharge our lives by spending time with him, our families, and ourselves. So did you hear that? The Sabbath is God's gift to us. The Sabbath is God's gift to us. We need a regular Sabbath for the sake of our own health and sanity. Dr. Winter, my colleague at Covenant, who's also a psychiatrist, he writes this in his book, Still Bored in a Culture of Entertainment. The biblical command to rest for one day of the week to, to honor the Sabbath is an important God-given principle for our own health and sanity. We neglect it at our peril, he concludes. If, if honoring the Sabbath and the resulting rest is a divine gift and a command, then why do most of us disobey God by not keeping the Sabbath? What's that all about? Well, perhaps, maybe we have adopted some Bill Gates thinking. Early when he was in his 20s, uh, AC, if you can put that slide up, Bill Gates said in his 20s he never took a day off. And if you're 20 years old or in the 20s, this is not good advice. He's very smart. As you think about Microsoft and all the spinoffs from that, but this is not a good work ethic to, to follow. Perhaps we have fallen hook, line, and sinker to keep in step, to keep in step with, the, with the 24-7 culture and the need to be always on. Perhaps we have bought into the need for a selfless devotion to the job. If that's you, you're not alone. According to a Harvard Business Review article, when Best Buy executives attempted to focus on results and avoid long work hours, some managers actually complained, holding tightly to a belief that selfless devotion to the job was necessary. And you heard Jim uh, give that quote, 
Let me just add to that quote something I read yesterday from the New York Times. This is an article entitled, How to Recognize Burnout Before You're Burned Out, by Kenneth Rosen. He says, being tired, ambivalent, stressed, cynical, and overextended has become a normal part of working professional life. So I hope you get the, the gravity and the force of that statement. There's a new normal. The normal is being tired, ambivalent, stressed, cynical, and overextended. That captures our work life. But God did not intend for us to govern our work lives by this new normal. This is not God's strip, uh, script. Whatever we have bought into has led us to forfeit God's gift of the Sabbath. But our bodies were designed for rest. Again, Dr. Swenson reminds us sleep is the clearest example and one that cannot be violated. The Sabbath is God's hard stop to allow us to rest. Unfortunately, there's no glory or fanfare in rest. We are a tired generation with no margin to slow down to give our undivided attention to family members. We are a tired generation with no margin to slow down to give our neighbors what my friend calls the gift of unhurried time. Sadly, our society rewards constant activity. And this reminds me, when my wife and I lived in St. Louis, a business journal did an article entitled 30 Under 30. The top 30 executives who were making waves under the age of 30. And my wife worked for one of those people. And her boss would email her at 11 o'clock at night. And oh, by the way, she expected a response. And she was rewarded for her constant activity. But all the while, it, it, it trespassed trespass boundaries into our home. So here are, here are a couple of things I know about people who starve their bodies to rest. They look haggard and worn out. A person who refuses to rest his or her body will eventually crash and burn. Our minds need rest. Our bodies need rest. Our emotions need rest. Our eyes, our minds need rest. And God commands us to practice the Sabbath so that we can rest our minds, our, our hearts, our souls, our bodies. So that's the first half of this talk, and I've been asked to give you a question. You guys ready for this question? So Michael Goheen uh, coined the phrase, contrast society. The church, he says, should be a contrast society. So how might a contrast society and the Sabbath connect. 
how might being a contrast community or society as a church connect with keeping the Sabbath? Does that make sense? Is that clear as mud or clear as crystal? So if you could, discuss that at your tables. Okay, everyone. Let's uh, go ahead and bring our discussion in. We're, we're going to go straight into a time of uh, Q&A. Uh, and uh, basically, uh, I'm going to ask a few questions first uh, to really draw out the theme of play uh, that Dr. Bobo has, uh, talk, has, has thought about quite a bit. Um, and, you know, my first question is um, Eugene Peterson. He, he writes and he describes Sabbath as praying and playing, mm. of, of setting aside time to worship and then also just be filled with wonder. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think most of us, when we think of play, mm -hmm. think it's that big of a deal to God. Like maybe God lets us play a little bit, mm -hmm. but he doesn't really care about it. What would you say to someone that says, God doesn't really care about play? Well, I would turn to uh, the instances in the Bible where we find children playing. Uh, for example, in Zechariah chapter 8, verse 5, Zechariah describes uh, the new restored Jerusalem and kids playing in the streets. And some would argue, well, that's little people. <laughs> right? But God is my father, and I'm... I'm, I am a child, mm -hmm. and God gives me the freedom to, um, to play, to, because I believe when we play, that's, that's actually trusting that God has, has got it. Mm. When I have a hard time playing, that implies that I have, a difficult, I have difficulty trusting the Lord. Mm. So it's, it's really a, a form of liberation. That God has this. Remember, many times the Israelites, when they celebrated the feast, uh, part of the festivities were they did not work, but enjoyed each other, which was a form of play. Because God wanted them to, God wanted them to trust in him and his provision. So, so what would you say is the difference between play and entertainment? Because we can have binging yeah, sessions with yeah, Netflix yeah. and those sorts of things. Yeah. How would you describe that? Well, uh, Dr. Winter uh, talks about that in his book, Still Bored in uh, a Culture of Entertainment. He would say, um, most of us have a passive form of play. We, we tend to watch others. <laughs> we tend to watch other people playing. But he would say, as, as adults, we should also engage in active playing. So instead of watching someone play tennis, go play tennis. Mm. Instead of watching the Food Network, try making a meal from scratch. Mm. So that's, that's the difference. We can, we can watch entertainment, but we should also be about doing the things that we watch. And Neil Postman, um, offers a caution when it comes to entertainment. In his book, um, Amusing Ourselves to Death, he said TV has become the new epistemology. Mm. 
the TV has become how we know. And I think now Facebook has become yeah. how we know. And so we need to also be, we need to also take Sabbath from watching TV and Facebook, texting. Am I hitting someone's address? Mm -hmm. I remember telling a group of students at Covenant to take a sabbatical from their computer. And one guy in the front row uh, almost passed out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, in, in such a knowledge, work-centered world, uh, where literally all we need to get by most of our days is just a head that's attached some, to some hands, yeah. which either hold a phone or type or something like right, that, right. What, what does Sabbath look like for us? Because it seems like, for most of the world, they were actually tired physically at the mm -hmm. end of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, now it's just like our eyes are tired and our thumbs twitch because they've yeah. been... But what, what does Sabbath look like in a sort of disembodied, brain-only world? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Uh, I would say in, a information, in the information age in which we find ourselves, probably the best thing we can do is just disengage from information. Uh, turn off the computer... Um, leave our cell phones, God forbid, at home. When I, I spoke to some young people last year uh, in St. Louis, and I said, take a walk and leave your cell phones at home. Go out and behold the creation. Uh, Cal DeWitt, who used to be at the University of uh, Wisconsin, would have his students go out into a forest and just lay on the ground and watch the leaves fall. Well, um, this is Phoenix, though, right? We, we've got a leaf. Yeah. <laughs> one leaf. There, there's one around here. So everyone can watch that one leaf. Yeah. yeah. But I would, I would find some things to do uh, in nature uh, if, it's, if it's bearable. I, I know the weather, the temperature's pretty high here. Most of the year, we just, like destroy every other place with how awesome it is here. It's <laughs> yeah. just like, yeah. right now, not so much. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, so uh, I want to open it up to, to questions. Uh, so start thinking of some questions. And the, we're going to do this a little differently. We're going to try this out. Uh, instead of doing text-in questions, I thought, since what we're really trying to go after this year is uh, a little more relational, um, we're just going to open it up for questions and we'll bring you a mic and you can ask your question. Now here's the danger with this. Yes. Some people like to give a speech in the form of a question. Um, for the sake of, of time, would you, you know, not be Pharaoh and do that to us um, and, and oppress us in that way? Uh, but would you just, uh, but we do want sincere questions about what this looks like. Um, so be thinking about those questions. I'm going to give you a moment to think about it, and I'll just ask you um, one other question. Um, what would you say? Um, what would you say is the reason that that Christians uh, and Protestant evangelical Christians, in particular, 
uh, tend to not engage this practice? Hmm. Well, sadly, I think um, we have succumbed to our culture's narrative of the good life. I remember uh, Tom Sign, um, he wrote a book called Mac, uh, Mac World versus Mustard Seed, something like that. Tom Sign, Mac World versus Mustard Seed. He said, if you, if you took two houses, one house uh, a Christian lives in, another house a non-believer lives in, you take all their possessions and put them on the front lawn, you would find that they have virtually the same thing. So I, I think we might not want to confess this, but I think many Christians have bowed the knee to getting stuff, mm -hmm. um, materialism. Mm -hmm. And so besides bowing to work, we also have bowed the knee to materialism. We have our consumerism. We have more than enough stuff, but non-believers are not the only ones that go that goes to the mall. You know, if if, if I can respond to that, because I've been thinking about that a lot lately, and I think that that's that's really profound. Mm -hmm. uh, on a couple of reasons, it's not to say uh, that stuff is bad, mm -hmm. but it's to say that we have such weak attention to see the depth and beauty of God's creation and the stuff that we have, that we just kind of move past it and, and want more and more, like we're eating uh, cotton candy. Um, there's, a, there's a time cost that comes with every possession you own, that it takes a certain amount of time to maintain it. Mm -hmm. I, I spend like an hour a day just looking for stuff, like because I lose it constantly. <laughs> I have so much stuff that most of my life is spent wandering around looking for it. Um, but if, if we took the heart of the Sabbath, because part of the heart of the Sabbath, like what God did on the, the seventh day, God wasn't tired. He wasn't like worn out, so he needed a break. But he delighted in creation. And, and what if Christians were known? This goes back to that contrast community question. What if Christians were known as the people who just had this overwhelming, ridiculous enjoyment of the simplest things. If, if you walked into, uh, you went to a park and you saw someone just going crazy over just having a good time playing with their dog or playing a game of softball and just in awe of the way that the ball rotates, so, somebody would be like, oh, that's probably a Christian, you know? <laughs> if, if you went to a restaurant and someone is like, delighting in the glory of cardamom and cinnamon and how they work together. Uh, they'd I'm be not like, sure what that is. Yeah, there's, there's <laughs> you know, the, the spices, you know, and, 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 and they're just going on and on about it. They'd be like, oh, it must be a Christian. But uh, if, if it's not to say that stuff is bad, it's just can you look at something as simple as a fig tree and just be in awe of God's design and have delight by, with putting your hands in the soil and enjoying his creation. That's one of the things with my, my daughter who's on the autism spectrum that I think that she has that most of us don't is just the ability to uh, delight over and over again, day in, day out, in these simple things. But if you really think about them, they're profound masterpieces. Mm -hmm. And that would make us a contrast community. It's good that 
we're, we can be known as people who say no to certain things. But what if we were also the people who were known by how much we just deeply enjoyed the simplest aspects of God's creation and gave him glory for it? Mm -hmm. So with the end of my tyrannical rant, um, I would like to hear your question with the request of not a tyrannical rant. So who has a question? Go ahead and throw your hand up there. Go ahead, Stephen. We've got a runner with a microphone here. I didn't expect to actually give this question answered. Um, but I, you mentioned your wife and you had an experience where your wife was experiencing <laughs> emails late, late, late at night. So I was wondering, what solution did you and your wife arrive at? And if it wasn't the best solution, what do you wish that you had have done? That's a great question. So um, in that case, my wife quit the job. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Next week's tithe will be down quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and quite frankly, she, she's glad she did. Um, because not only did she violate boundaries, but she was taking credit for some of the things my wife had done. And, and so it was best, it was not healthy to be in that work context. So she left. Yeah. And that was the best, best choice. Yeah. Next question. Go ahead. For, uh, for married couples who work together, mm -hmm. but I would say have the, have the same vision, but different work ethics. Working... Not, not, not that one is, you know, so maybe, not that one is bad, maybe, not that one is bad. Maybe, I said different, is I there, didn't say one is, is there a Christian counselor in the house? You <laughs> <laughs> turn this thing off. <laughs> but we just look at work differently. How would you, it seems like your wife and you, you, you had a, a balance, unless that was a hard conversation, but you, you seem to call her out and just say, look, this isn't right. Mm -hmm. Did she understand that wasn't right, or mm -hmm. was it more, I'm the workaholic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it, that's not clear. We could tell by the way you asked the question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, my wife and I do have different, different work ethics, um, but that was not healthy for her. And, and I would say to you, my brother, down the road is not going to be healthy for you. And so I, I would, if your wife is telling you, dear, it's time to stop working. And she probably uses the word dear, right? <laughs> You know, we've been married, my wife and I have been married 34 years. And my wife is pretty smart. And I, I would guess your wife is pretty smart too. <laughs> so he, I would say heed her advice. 
because I'm, I'm certain it's not done to be malicious. It's done primarily, I'm sure, out of love for you. When, um, <laughs> when, uh, <laughs> a, a couple, a couple of nuggets. One would be is if, if it's truly like you're kind of at an impasse, um, it's important to be in community and have some people to be able to look at both of your lives to know you and be able to have that discussion with you. And cause the chances are people, uh, see you better than you see yourself in that situation. Um, so I think that's, that's really important. And for us to be able as a community to have the candor with each other, to say those things, um, to not just, you know, say little niceties and stuff. The other aspect about community, and this is pretty radical, is one of the reasons why many of us can't step out of the, the way of Pharaoh is because we're all in the way of Pharaoh. And we as a, can't be the community like the Christian community was in the early church that took care of each other when economic challenges happened. So what would it look like if we had enough margin in our budgets, had smaller houses but spare bedrooms, um, to where if people got in financial trouble, um, that you could care for each other and, and look out for one another. But we all don't have enough margin. We're, we're, we're paying off all of our stuff and can't really care for each other, both with the finances and with the time to get to know each other well enough to, to speak into each other's life. A practical thing on that for a while, what my wife and I did is we did different Sabbath days and usually in the American work schedule, you get five days of work uh, and two, two days off. Well, really, we were given six days to work and one day of rest. So the way we look at it is for one day of the week, one of us is working, but working for our family. Uh, and, so the, and therefore, doing all the cleaning, the cooking, the caring for the kids, and working for, striving for that other person's rest. Um, and then the other day is an opportunity for the other one to serve another. It's very hard in a fragmented world like that, but that's just a thought. Next question. Let's go over there. Is that Ben? All right. Yeah, do that. So the question is, uh, you're doing work, basically, but it's very physical work and very different from the rest of what you're doing. Does that count as Sabbath, basically? Is that, is that the question? So Dr. Swenson talks about uh, four gears. Uh, gear one is what he calls park. That's where we rest and enjoy the Sabbath. Gear two is what he calls... Uh, low, that's when you spend time with family, when your kids want a story, you tell a story. Gear three, he says, is when we work and play, where we exert the most energy. And I would count that as, as play. 
and gear four he would we'll call overdrive. That's where occasionally we have to work long hours to get a project done. Our problem as Americans is that we, we stay a long time in gear four. One thing I would want to draw out with that, just to name a challenge that really is a challenge in our world, is that we live in a very fragmented society. What I mean by that is, historically, your exercise, your work, your, your, your financial uh, production and your service to society, um, and your time with your family all happened kind of at the same time and in the same place. As people worked the land or worked in places where they could apprentice their children and work was very physical. But now, one of our great challenges is that our work is not physical. Um, so therefore, you have to go to a gym afterward. And you go, you look around a gym, uh, and it's basically imitating what actual work was for the rest of uh, history. Like, you don't have a boat, so you go on the row machine. You have no mountain to climb and conquer, so you go on the step machine. Um, but then if you spend uh, an extra hour there after work, then are you taking an hour away from your time with your children and with your, with your family? And we have this a Rubik's Cube of time that's very fragmented and it's almost impossible to, to manage. And so I just want to encourage you, in this world, as, as believers, we have to be very creative. Mm -hmm. And we have to think about integration. What does it look like to start to try to integrate these things again? Mm -hmm. uh, can you get exercise through uh, the tangible service of another or with playing and spending time with your children? Um, but, but there's not a simple answer to this just knowing that we are in a world that's disintegrating and separating everything. And uh, part of being a contrast community is reintegrating things as much as possible. Next question. Fish. Well, let me just give an illustration. Um, so imagine uh, you pastor a rural church. Um, this rural pastor cannot stay put in a place like that because it's just an assumption that if you're home, I can just drop by. And so it may resort to you actually leaving or you're a resident of, Temp of Tempe or Phoenix, it, it may uh, come down to you actually leaving Tempe to go to an undisclosed location and, and engaging in uh, God's beautiful creation and using your cell phone sparingly. But it, it may come to that. But again, there's no, there's no recipe for these type of things. And the Holy Spirit can give us creativity and direction how to go about obeying that command. If, if God has given us the command to obey the Sabbath, then he will answer that prayer in terms of how to live it out. 
And so it's going to look different for me. It's going to look different for you. But I, I would encourage all of us uh, to go before the Lord and ask, how can I live out this command in this fragmented society? And God, I, 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 I guarantee you this, God will answer that prayer. So to, to spark imagination a little bit. Um, you need this? Uh, no. There's, okay. Um, can, can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, so um, the weekends, I do yard work. I leave my cell phone in the house. Uh, on Sundays, it's typically, I hope I can say this without, it's typically the afternoons is sitting, drinking a glass of wine. Yeah, you can definitely say that. I thought you were going somewhere else. <laughs> but, but, but I've already said it. <laughs> but there's instances where that's not always a routine. Sometimes that routine gets interrupted, like... We have a good friend that we've been knowing for 30 years. He's suffering from cancer. So I may have to put my routine on hold and go serve him. Or I may, um, because I may be traveling that week, I may do some work on Sunday to help my wife out so she's not doing some heavy lifting that I should be doing. So again, it's... I was telling Jim earlier, there's going to be ebbs and flows in your Sabbath and, and what you do. And God is so gracious and merciful that he understands. I, I, I would say not to be so rigid and legalistic about it that you, you think this is somehow earning brownie points with the Lord. It's not. You, you're, you're forgiven, you're accepted, you're beloved. And God will give you creativity on how to live it out. Um, a few of the things that I've seen um, over the years, one would be um, Wendell Berry, one of my favorite poets. He would write a poem every Sabbath, mm -hmm. and that slows you down and kind of forces you to, mm -hmm. to, to look at the world with wonder. Um, uh, another thing that I've seen is uh, people... Uh, being very physical on those days of, of riding your bike around the city. Um, um, what we do with technology, we've just started this, it's been really helpful, is in the evenings and on Saturdays, which is our Sabbath, we try to put our phones away completely. Mm -hmm. And we actually have like a little, uh, you know, Jason Bourne burner phone that we, we have in case of like emergency or if someone needs to get a hold of us. But that's all, all we'll use. Um, one other thing that I think can be a little bit helpful is um, uh, uh, taking the time to, uh, with your meals, uh, make good, delightful stuff by hand, unless, of course, that's laborious to you, then just don't do that. Um, but, but it's not just me time. It's, it's, it can often be and should be time to get together with people and be filled with gratitude um, one of the ways that is really helpful to, to shift your thinking is the Hebrew sense of time. Mm -hmm. that, uh, that the Hebrews understood that the day began actually in the evening. So the, they would start their day when sun, the sun would go down, 
and the day would be over um, the next sunset. And, and so part of the, what that does in, in changing your mindset is that you actually start the whole first half of your day with the mindset that God is working. So for the first half of the day, you don't do anything. You lay there vulnerably and sleep. sleep. And then as God has been holding the whole world together, you wake up into the middle of God's day, receiving his grace. It's not the early, uh, early bird that gets the worm. He already got the worm. He's given you the worm. And you join into his work uh, that, that day. Yeah, and go fishing with the worm. Um, but the same is true with the Sabbath. We tend to think of the Sabbath as the end of the week where we can recuperate from a, from a hard week of work. But if we change that and we made it the first day of the week, mm -hmm. the day where we celebrate the resurrection and we get rest that fuels us for the rest of the week, it's starting out from a place of grace. I think that that mindset can really help. Mm -hmm. So I want to toss a quick question to you uh, before we bring it back just for, for one last thing. But here's the question I want around the table, all right? Imagine if all ice cream <laughs> and air conditioners would be banished from the state of Arizona unless you were totally rested physically, spiritually, socially, intellectually within, the ne within 24 hours from now. So you've got to figure out something to do to get totally rested up or else ice cream's gone for everybody and air conditioning as well. What would you do in that 24 hours? So discuss with some people around the table and I'll just bring us back in just a moment to close us out. Sometimes you all I got, you my best friend, okay? I came in the game with a purpose, hard work and it's working. There's one thing that's certain, you can look to God when you searching. He paid the debt and you purchased, so come to God cause you worth it. He tore the belt and them curtains, it's R.I.P. then conversion. We going up in the way, I ain't just making up something to say. I know that there's really coming a day and this is the info I'm trying to convey. Trying to relay everything he displayed, he came to earth so the world would be saved.
Okay, let's go ahead and bring it in. Um, did, did we save the ice cream? Did we do it? Yeah? All right. No, we didn't save the ice cream? Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. I love ice cream. Um, well, I hope you, you came up with some good things. Uh, continue that. Continue that question uh, prayerfully of just imagining what a good rich Sabbath of praying and playing looks like. And we want to close with this. This is something that we've, um, we want to make a part of our first Wednesdays is, is talking about what does an outward local expression look like. And you may think, how does rest pertain to something that we're doing outwardly? Well, the reality is if you really look at the biblical teaching on Sabbath, it is connected to the flourishing of our neighbor and a, a just and flourishing society. In Leviticus 25, it talks about the Sabbath years, not just Sabbath days. Can you imagine a Sabbath year? It's where you kind of get the idea of a, <clears throat> it's the idea of a sabbatical, right? Um, but the, the seventh year in, um, in, in the, with, with Israel was supposed to be a year where it was a whole year where you didn't work the fields. You feasted, and you enjoyed the presence of one another. And it took a lot of trust to not go out there and, like, you know, throw some seeds into the ground and just because you needed God to provide for you. But part of what was happening there was it was called, you were called to let the land rest and the good stewardship of the land. And then after seven uh, Sabbath years, there was this year called the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee was when all of the debts would be forgiven and all of the, um, every, the student loans just forgiven. Um, and not only that, but all people, anyone who had lost property to uh, uh, selling it to someone else, it would be returned back to that family. So it would be like 49 years later, you'd be able to get that property back. And it would make sure that everybody had uh, a the ability to rest and to flourish economically. Now, that's not an economic system that's supposed to be imprinted onto our day-to-day, -day, although I'd be cool with the year of Jubilee. That'd be great. Um, but the, the heart of what is happening there is that God is saying the Sabbath isn't just for you and your rest, but is to go and to seek the rest and the flourishing of your neighbor, especially your most vulnerable neighbors. So part of what we do here locally is something called the WITH Collective. And it's where we turn our campus uh, every, every Thursday, but especially every third Thursday, into uh, a homeless shelter. Uh, homeless folks will come and they'll stay on campus. We'll have showers for them and we'll make a meal. And, and a lot of times people make their best recipe as if they were preparing it for Jesus. And we'll share a meal with them. And, and in the spirit of the Sabbath, it would be great 
if we had more and more people who could turn this campus into a place of rest and a place of flourishing and a place of delight, not just for us, but for those who are struggling most in the community. So if you want to be a part of that, that's the With Collective. It's on the third Thursday of every month where we put the, the meals together. And um, if you want to, to connect with that, we will put the link right up there. You can just go to our website and sign up for it. It'll be at 5 p.m. In the, in the evening on the third Thursday. Uh, feel free to connect with that and extend Sabbath to others as you enjoy Sabbath yourself. And so with that said, let me send you out in prayer. Father, we pray that you would bless us, that we might be a blessing, that you would give us rest, that we might extend rest to a weary world, that we would know that all of the other entities that say, come to me, are, are, are lying, and that Jesus is telling the truth, that your yoke is easy and your burden is light, and help us to, to, to see that you alone are the one who can provide rest for our souls, and that you have given us this great gift that gives us rest for our bodies, for the physical environment, uh, for, uh, for our neighbor, for our minds, and let us call it a delight. Would you bless us and keep us and make your face shine upon us and give us peace in the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Good night, everyone. Give Dr. Bobo a hand, thank him for coming. Give him all I got, cause he's all I got.